Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? You're listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. I am your host, Dapper Data. Today we have a special guest on here. His name is Eric, and I want to, I want to, I want to really focus in on a topic that is different from what we've touched on before, right? We might have touched on this one time in the past, but just to sum it up, let's talk about fake news, fake information, right? Whether it's dealing with scientific research, right? Whether it's dealing with social media, right? Everything. When you decide to Google something out there you may or may not be getting real information, right? You may or may not be getting something that is viable, something that will will help you make a better decision, right? Fake news can actually help you, uh, well, not help you, but, but, but could actually cause you to make the wrong decision, right, out there. And so a study that I, that I found recently, a research study I found, it said that 95% of statistics are made up, all right? Let that sink in. Right. And I don't know if that's true or not, because it could be fake. You know, I don't know. <laughs> but it says 95 percent of the statistics that are out there, 95 percent of the information maybe that are out there um, um, could very well be fake or made up. Right. And discussions about fact versus truth come up quite a bit these days. OK. I mean, people go out and do their own research these days and consumer based research. Even if you tell them something, you're trying to sell them something. I'm pretty sure they're going to go off and they're going to try to do their own research. Right. And that could combat you. That can be competitive research, you know, whatever it is. Right. And um, this whole fake news thing is very important because uh, it, it really is telling us how or why we need to make these better decisions. Right. And what we should do to really combat that. Right. So I brought a special guest on there, Eric Olson. Say what's up to everybody, Eric. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So, Eric, thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, Eric is a talented data science professional with a master's in predictive analytics from Northwestern University. Before Consensus, that's the company that he is the CEO of and founder, Eric worked at the sports entertainment company DraftKings. Now, to me, that is exciting, right? I play football. I love football. I do fantasy football. And yes, I do DraftKings, right? You know, and maybe we can have a conversation. Should I do DraftKings or FanDuel? I don't know. You know, should I do both? <laughs> Later, but... get the best price, duel, but <laughs> right, right, right. You know, so he was an analytics specialist there, building predictive machine learning models to understand the user base better, right? So Eric came up with this idea of consensus after spending years and years as a diehard amateur science consumer and wanting access to better evidence-based information at the click of a button. Eric formerly was a three-year starter for the Northwestern University football team, is an avid skier, right? I do a little bit of snowboarding on my own, you know, but uh, we'll talk about that later and stuff, you know. Uh, know he loves outdoors and hopes to convince NFL coaches someday never to punt again. Maybe you yeah. use data to do that, man. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, thank you for being on the podcast, Eric. Um, is there anything that you want to share with the audience? Yeah, I can give you a quick overview over what consensus actually is. I think that the background introduction was great. Thank you so much for that. Uh, so yeah, what consensus is, is a new search engine that uses artificial intelligence, specifically language models, to find answers within scientific research. 
And the problem statement is a lot of what you touched on before that, you know, generally when people say they're quote unquote doing their own research, they usually mean they're just typing that question into Google. Right. Google, Google is amazing at a million things. I'm not trying to discount that, but it is not specifically designed for you to do research. It is a popularity algorithm, not a reputability algorithm. Uh, really? And people use a tool that is not designed to do research to do their research. So we wanted to try to build a tool that was unbiased and made it easy for anybody, regardless of your expertise level, to be able to get your information from primary sources from actual research documents. So instead of going to Google and saying, hey, is red wine actually good for my heart? And finding some you know, blog article by Joe Schmo about it, you actually can see the studies that have looked at trying to address that question. And we will try to find the answers to your question within those documents and serve it up to you in a consumable way. All right, right. So is it is this sort of like a product itself or is it consulting gigs and stuff? It is a it is a product itself. It is a search engine that anybody can pick up and use. Okay. Okay. Great. 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 You know, evidence evidence based answers, right? And making it faster, right? That was that was the the main that better uh, answers faster was the initial uh, slogan. It didn't wasn't quite you know didn't explain enough what we were doing, but that is everything we're doing. We're trying to do both. We're trying to get yeah. you better information. We're trying to do it quickly. Because normally products exist as a trade-off. It's either fast or it's good. You can go a mile deep if you open Google Scholar, but there's no ease of use. There's no advanced analysis. There's no consumer friendliness. But that is the best information you could be getting. Or you could go to the other end of the spectrum and you could just you know, ask your question to Siri or something. And that might be really fast, but the likelihood of actually getting good information is pretty low. So most products to date have existed on some spectrum of a trade-off between good information and quick information. And we're trying to build something that does both. And we think that oh, yeah. AI that. are the way to bridge that gap. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. I didn't I didn't think about how that trade-off is is necessarily occurring, right? You know, yeah. on a regular basis, because you want the information really fast, right? You know, and the the faster you get the information, right? Maybe they the, the the search engine or the people behind the scenes they they're like, all right, I have to give give this information fast. I'll just give everything that that's out there, right? The keywords is out there, but I'm not necessarily uh, trying to give you quality information. It's just whatever comes up at the top. However, I don't know if they have to pay for the top part or something. You know, in a search engine, I don't know. You know? And, the, and the way to solve that is automate parts of that deep analysis process. So the only way that we actually can ever bridge that gap is use tools that now exist to automate the process of vetting information and analyzing information and finding the correct answers in places. Yeah, yeah. Is, is this an algorithm that you all built from scratch or you know, using something that's out there pre-built? Uh, so a little bit of both. And that's the way that it usually goes with these language models. Is right, we right. We build it off of foundational models. So mm -hmm. there's like an underlying pre-training that these models come with where it's been exposed to giant corpuses of text. So it has like understanding of language and language patterns, but then you give it specific special purpose training data to then learn how to execute your task. And the way that I describe that to people is like, it's basically the way like humans learn how to do tasks. Because if I were to teach you to do something, you don't come as this just like blank slate. You have this mm -hmm. whole history of, all these other tasks you've learned to do in your life. And if I'm to teach you how to do something, you'll pattern match, you'll, you know, you'll pull from that existing knowledge and then learn how to do this next task quickly. And that's the real power of these language models. 
they come with this embedded latent knowledge, and then you can give it specific types of data to then teach it how to do a specific task. So it comes with knowledge, and then you can teach it how to do your specific task with your custom data. So we took that you know, baseline model, and we gave it uh, special purpose data to try to do our task, which was combing through research papers and finding information. Right, right. And so this is specific to uh, scientific research. Correct. Peer review papers. Man, that's awesome, man. Yeah. That is a unique case right there, especially with me. A lot of audience, the audience knows that I'm uh, currently going through my uh, doctoral program, my PhD, mm-hmm. and um, and it's a it's a process, right? You know, it's a pain, but uh, something that I never thought about, honestly, until about until my dissertation phase, right? I'm sitting there going through all these courses, you know, even uh, you going through your literature review, and I'm and all so these doctors doctors that, right? people, people using the tool to speed up lit reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 that would be awesome, right? You know, using something like that, and and honestly, you want your work to be, you want it to be good work. You want it to be quality work, right? And and to to be able to back that up with something like this to say that hey, my work is quality, right? Because I know for sure that I'm using something like consensus to be able to uh, find the data that is more factual, right? You know, something that is more supportive because I can find the supportive data. But you know, people as I'm writing this dissertation, I'm thinking, man. How did they know? Or is this true? You know, did they just make something up along the way, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and that is the that's you know that's like the the second part and what we're starting to do and have some of it in the product already to the whole process. So there's this one part of finding answers in papers using AI to pull them out and then match them to people's questions, so you can find the information quickly. You can find claims about whatever research question you have in the click of a button. But then there's exactly what you're saying then there's this like quality layer. So then it's understanding what is the likelihood of this claim to be able to reproduce? What is the likelihood of it being true for put even more simply? Uh, and the cool part is every way that you would do that as a human of looking through the paper, looking at the methods section and saying, mm-hmm. and how is the study designed? What was the sample size? What is the effect size? What is the population diverse of the people they experimented on? Uh, you can use these models to replicate that process. You can have them right. identify those parts and then put it all into an equation and say, all right, now what is the probability that this paper would reproduce? And that isn't fully done yet. Well, it's what we're yeah, working yeah. on in the background, but uh, it's really that two-step process, right? It's quickly finding information, but it's also quickly helping people understand what is likely to be quality information. Man, I just wish that this was here before I finished my dissertation. <laughs> uh, I love hearing that. I love I love hearing that. And I, I'm... I'm uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to say that's not the first time we've heard that. Uh, okay. Which, okay. Is, which is very cool. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome, man, because you're talking about cutting down the time. I mean, that's one of the vetting processes that we have to go through and reading like all of these freaking articles, right? You know, I'm talking about the impact of like taking away family time, right? Something yeah. business use case right there. You know, I'm reading hundreds and hundreds of articles and I'm spending that in time instead of actually spending this time with my family you know it's it's, it's a beauty right there what you all are doing man yeah I, I i appreciate that and i love that you brought that up and uh that isn't to say also that there aren't um other types of use cases that, that we're yeah. addressing we've seen like i'm not a sign you know i have somewhat of an academic background in data scientist in data science but i don't have a phd i'm not a scientist 
but I wanted this product to exist because I wanted to be able to more easily access this information. So not only do we hope that it can help somebody like yourself who's doing this, you know, pretty deep literature review, we also hope it can help people like myself who are just your more average consumer, but want to try to get better information and wish they could engage with this type of data, but there's never been the tools to be able to do that. You know, there's all this work that amazing people like yourself getting their PhD have done where they're producing papers and they dedicate years of their lives and money uh, yeah. to all these pursuits and putting out this knowledge. Then the only people who are still consuming it are people like yourself. Then the next yeah. student who comes along and does the literature, right? And it's like, you know, this is the greatest source of knowledge in the world. And it's just completely inaccessible unless you're doing the research yourself, unless you're like yourself and you're in school. Like it's the only time people will go back and engage with it. And uh, that has to change. And I think AI and NLP is going to be what changes that. And we hope to be a part of that. Man, man, that's amazing. So I want to take a little bit of a step back. Right? Yeah, all good. I wanted to, what I thought was really interesting, right? You know, you and I both come from this athletic background, right? Yeah. You know, we sit there, we play football and we, we love the game, right? You know, and uh, at, at some point you don't think, man, I mean, I don't, for me personally, I don't know about you, but I didn't think, man, I would be a data scientist one day, right? You know, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to go to the NFL maybe. And if I don't, this is my backup, right? My computer science background. And at some point I decided to say, hey, look, 90% of people coming from HBCUs or certain places are, are not going to go to NFL, right? <laughs> you know, and I said, all right, well, I need to make sure I have this, this, this other background, right? And at first I went for the money. Right. Computer science. I was thinking, man, that's where everybody's going for the money, things like that. Yeah. What made you say, man, I'm going to geek it out and get into from I'm going from football yeah. to this. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, my story is definitely a little bit different where it, it's it's in my it's in my blood. It's it's who I am. And uh, my my dad is a computer scientist. He's an MIT nice. computer scientist who's been in engineering his entire life. Uh, his dad is a lifelong professor. Uh, involved in academia. My sister is a lifelong teacher. Uh, so I really was a jock who kind of underneath the surface was this big nerd. Uh, so while I didn't, you know, pursue data science from the get-go and it was never this like master plan or anything, uh, mm -hmm. you know, what pushed me to end up getting into it is definitely just like underlying like who I was as a person and my background and my family background. Uh, and, you know, my co-founder is actually a teammate of mine and, and he has a similar story where his dad is a professor, his sister's a researcher, his mom has a PhD. And that's why we became best friends, because we yeah. like to talk about things in the locker room that most D1 football players don't typically talk about. And we spoke the same way and we thought about the world in a similar way. And, uh, you know, that is kind of our founding story of we were these jocks who secretly wished they were scientists and we wanted to build a tool that made it easy for idiots like ourselves to actually engage with this quality information. Uh-huh. I was surprised you didn't get into um I guess like NFL data science, right? Or data analytics. <laughs> that might be in the future plans. Uh yeah. yeah. I, I worked in, in analytics at DraftKings. Yeah. Uh, and I, I built some of my own football models. Uh, uh -huh. and yeah. I uh if I wasn't starting a company, uh that's probably what I would try to do. Yeah, yeah, that's something I'm definitely interested in doing. You know, I think I I do a lot of data science work diff different companies. I currently work with NetApp, and uh, I d I do different. I've done different things, but like my passion, you know, being being football, um, you know, I love it, right? And then and then I also love data science. I have a passion of that. You know, why not intertwine the two, right? You know, I mean, you think about 
being an expert in your domain is always the best thing to do when you're a data science or data analyst, right? You know, and I, I would never want to do like healthcare or finance, even though there's money in that and a lot of people are doing it, you know, only because I don't want to have to learn the terms that anybody else, I don't have to learn the domain, right? To be really good at it. Um, I know the domain of football, you know, and so uh, maybe I might uh, uh, do something like that, you know, going oh. forward, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. But no. So that was that was great, man. You know, I wanted to take a little bit of a turn into the scientific research specifically. Right. You know, I wanted to go deeper into that. Uh, you really love talking about making scientific research accessible. Right. Yeah. And, you know, for starters, right, researchers themselves may benefit from this whole open access Oh, yeah. Right. I see it all the time. Me personally, I, I love the open access. Right. And there is like work that work becomes more widely available and relevant. Right. You know, when you have the open access um, and on this community level, that surface, you know, open access has the potential to like quell like information or misinformation. Right. That's out there and stuff, you know, while keeping the general public like informed. So, you know, like what does it take to make scientific research more accessible? You know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so if people aren't aware, uh, open access means the, the the licensing of the underlying research papers. And when things are open access, it means that regardless of your credentials, regardless if you've purchased a license, you're able to actually access and see the text of an article. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, a large chunk of scientific research is not open access. Now, the good news is something that's a huge tailwind for us as a company uh, is that it's changing. There's been a huge push toward open access and no longer is it just a movement, it is now letter of the law. Uh, there was legislation this past year by the Biden administration where uh, everything that has been federally funded or experiment was used, there's federal money to, use to help conduct an experiment. All of that research has to be open access by 2025. So mm. it's very, very much in the favor of Man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really awesome. And the data that is in our product is, is primarily open access papers. And we partner with an amazing organization in Seattle called the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. This aggregated incredible repository of papers, many of which are open access. And that's what we have in our product. But to do, you know, to, to really accomplish the goal of making research accessible for anybody, regardless if you're conducting research yourself, or you're a Joe Schmo, there's, you know, there's another step in my opinion. Like it's a prerequisite that you need access to the papers. Like that's a huge hurdle. So like, this is great that that's being accomplished, but that isn't the end of the fight. That isn't the end of the story. There still is this analysis, interpretation and discovery layer that needs to be built and the infrastructure has to be built to do that. And that's what we want to try to do. We're not the ones that are lobbying for open access. We're not the ones that are, you know, purchasing licenses for everybody. Uh, what we're trying to build is that discovery and analysis layer and mm -hmm. basically that accessibility layer where once things are open access it's like okay now i can just pop open consensus and that's how i'm going to be able to engage with this information so you know just because there's information that is now technically available for people uh, i think there's this whole other layer that still needs to continue to be built that is helping people discover it helping people analyze it and interpret it because uh, research is pretty darn dense and it is pretty it is. and uh you know it, the, there won't be the real impact that research could have until we have tools that are built that can help people analyze and interpret it at scale. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. 
No, that's awesome. That's awesome, Eric, man. You know, and when I look at it, man, I mean, just this this topic has really opened my eyes, right? Because around the world, misinformation comes in many forms, right? You know, and I sit there and I'm thinking, man, every time I'm Googling something, every time I'm uh, just asking a question in my head, right? You know, there's a possibility of misinformation being uh, embedded in my head, you know, do the research, you know, including things like biased and or like badly uh, news, right? Reported news that's out there, right? You know, is CNN misinformation? Is, you know, this, I don't know, right? You know, um, clickbait headlines, right? <laughs> that's accompanied by articles that are out there, you know, uh, that could be misinformation or fake news, right? That's out there. Um, so even I remember uh, reading something about like the coronavirus, right? That pan that pandemic, they they opened up this whole issue of this infodemic, right? You know, and they were like, you know, is that misinformation that's out there, right? You know, you don't know what's real, what's not, you know? And so being specific to scientific research, you know, that goes back to uh, when I think about scientific research, it can cover pretty much everything that's related. More topics than people realize that it can cover. Way more topics. Everything, right? You know, we're not just talking about social media. We're not just talking about coronavirus, right? It literally is research. People are dedicating their entire lives to researching anything that you can probably think of, right? You know, you have PhDs out there that are researching anything from I don't know, uh, biology to chicken or something. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> the hardest science to the softest science. Yeah, uh, we. I send out a newsletter every week to all of our registered users of like a, an interesting thing that I learned using the product, like with an example query and like some of the studies behind it. And one of one of them I did in the last month, uh, because there's actually re some research published by a former teammate of mine, uh, was about do home crowds uh, bias referees. So when the referee mm. is in the stadium, are they more likely to call? Uh, make calls in favor of the home team because of the crowd interaction. And there's Man. some really cool research that was done during coronavirus to see if it was actually the crowds that were impacting them to see if that propensity to call uh, call things in favor of the home team changed when there weren't any crowds. And, and it did actually a little bit. Oh, man. Anyway, I'm just using that as an example of, you know, you, you think of, you hear about science and you think of chemistry and biology, but, you know, the scientific method can test anything, uh, yeah. or most anything, I guess I should say. And something like that is a perfect example. Like there's a testable experiment to be run there. And if something has that quality, somebody's probably researched it. And if they haven't, somebody yeah. probably will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, man. You know, so in your opinion, right, this is just your opinion, right? Being in the field that you're in, um, have we really cracked the code of, or are we getting closer and closer to cracking the code of how to be very, really verify scientific research? You know, yeah. how far are we away from that? It's, it's a great question. And I mean, the, the short answer is absolutely not. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're saying these terms like fake news and misinformation. I want to just be like clear that uh, just because it's scientific research does not mean that it also is not misinformation. It also isn't potentially false information. It is likelier to probably be good information. And there's, you know, because an experiment's being run, it's more likely that this is verifiable and valid. But that is by no means universally true. And there are plenty of biased and badly run experiments that are trying to disguise themselves as well-run experiments. So the work that we are most excited about and that we're trying to do with some of ourselves, we're collaborating with some awesome research groups. 
uh, is in trying to automate this process of understanding if a given paper is reproducible. So reproducible is kind of this is like the, the North star of all of this. So basically mm -hmm. it's asking the question of given the same conditions, if I were to run this experiment, would I get the same result? Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, uh, it is that the answer to that question is no, a lot more than you'd like it to be true because people massage results and uh, yeah. and, and do all sorts of things. But the good news is there are ways to try to automate and quantify this at scale. Uh, and we're trying to help do that. Uh, so by no, you know, I, I guess the, the answer to your initial question, have we cracked the code? No, uh, mm -hmm. but the right steps are being taken and there's some pretty incredible ideas and work being done uh, to help push us in that direction. Hey, man. Well, I mean, one day we'll be there, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited that people like you and, and other, and other folks out there are really dedicating time to be able to do that because, I mean, the data is not going to stop, right? You know, the information out there is not going to stop, yeah. right? And it's like, you can't put a, push a pause or, or quiesce it, right? You know, <laughs> you can't just stop it and say, hold on, let me figure this out real quick while data is growing. You know, you almost have to go in parallel, right? You know, as it's growing, you're trying to hurry up and crack the code. And then the next step would have to be like, all right, maybe I could uh, stop misinformation from being produced, um, but then... What about the information that's already out there, right? You know, how do I stop, how do I stop that? You know, so this is exciting, right? You know, um, so, all right, the problem of misinformation, right, in the news of media, right? I want to talk about that a little bit for a few minutes because I know we highlighted a little bit here and there and stuff, but I really want to dive into that because in my eyes, the problem of misinformation and news and, news and media um, people don't understand that there's a problem, right? That's out there, right? I think that's the main thing first, right? You know, I mean, you got news and media, right? I talk about CNN versus Fox, right? You got whatever it is, and it seems like it's 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 all bias, right? It's like, what do I want the people to know or perceive about what's going on? The message that I'm trying to grow uh, grow with. Um, what's your thoughts on the problem that is out there right now of misinformation yeah. in the news and media? And yeah, also to be clear, like, you know, we're, we're trying to solve the problems when it comes to, you know, search products and mm -hmm. we're not, you know, consensus doing the best version of itself isn't going to, you know, solve the problems of 20, the 24 hour news cycle of, of cable news. And yeah, but I think the, the interesting thing is those two things are, are more similar than they are different in the root of why they happen. And when I put up the two things I'm talking about are, let's just use the, the, the easy one, 24 hour cable news, along with social media, like the two things people would most talk about when they talk about information and the way people, people consume information. Very yeah. different things, but the reason why the information is many times not great uh, is the same reason. Uh, and it's because uh, both are beholden to advertisers and both mm -hmm. are advertising based models. And I say that not in the sense that they're inherent, that they, they certainly can be, but that they're inherently biased because they have a given advertiser. So I'm not saying that, hey, Fox News has X advertiser and they're paying them on the table to say something. Maybe that's true in some instances, but that's not even what I'm talking about. What I'm talking mm -hmm. about is, is if your business model is advertising, you care about eyeballs and you mm -hmm. care about time spent consuming your information. So your higher ups can sell more ads. So mm -hmm. every business tries to optimize for something. And if that becomes your North Star, 
you start to optimize for eyeballs and clicks and engagement. And this is true for social media. This is true for cable news. So what happens when that becomes the case? You care the most about engagement. Well, unfortunately, do you know what type of content is very engaging? Inflammatory content. Mm-hmm. Sometimes misinformation. And, you know, in cable news, this manifests as, as punditry instead of reporting, right? Yeah, that's going to get more like, most likes, right? Yeah, what is, what is, what is sexier and what is going to get more eyeballs? Two mm-hmm. people screaming at each other, causing division, or somebody doing really good diligence reporting. Unfortunately, yeah. it's the former. So I don't think this is some giant conspiracy of places trying to misinform you. I think it's just organizations following their incentives like it's always been. Their incentives mm-hmm. are to keep eyeballs on the screens and to keep you clicking in your social media products. If that's what they're incentivized to keep you to do, they're going to do whatever it takes to do that. And unfortunately, the end result of that sometimes is uh, bad information because that bad information is engaging. And again, Man. I don't think this is is Google execs standing in some room in suits being like, how are you going to misinform Eric? Like, that's not what it is. Right. It's, really <laughs> it's Occam's razor. Sometimes the simplest explanation is the, the most of the time, the simplest explanation is the right one. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's just businesses following their incentives. Man, so to me, what I hear you saying is that the misinformation is never going to stop. Right. <laughs> I mean, in your, in your opinion. Right. You know, and and so when I think about it, it's, you know, and and again, I just want your opinion on this. Right. You know, when you when you look at I remember having a, um, an interview, I was on a, a recent podcast and one of the questions that they asked me was, man, how can you prevent like algorithm bias? Right. And I'm like, it's not the algorithm that's biased, the data that's being put in. Right. And then so then you got the domain owner who's producing that data. Right. Um do we hold the domain owner accountable, right? At what one point, you know, from an ethical standpoint, I mean, is that something that you would think like that news is out there, right? That that information that you're getting from the scientific research, uh, you know, institution, right? Do we hold, do we start to create rules and policies to really hold them accountable? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's definitely going to be some of that. And it's definitely a fine line to walk because, free speech and yada, yada, yada. But (laughs) the the analogy I once heard about the tech company, about social media companies specifically, but this can be applied like more broadly uh, is, you know, think about chemical companies in the sixties and seventies. There was no regulation about your, you know, I'm I'm just using the sixties and seventies or sixties and seventies, like without knowing the exact time regulation came in, but just broadly 50, hundred years ago, uh, there was no regulation around, dumping chemicals into water supplies. And so what happened? Chemical companies, because their incentives were to save money and make it easier to get rid of the waste, they just dumped their chemicals in the closest lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we found out and realized that that was happening and that bad things were happening downstream of that. And then we had to regulate it and say, hey, we can't do that because this is bad for all these people because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, it's kind of basically the same thing. It's not, and you don't blame the chemical companies for that. You're, you right. say, you know, they were just following their incentives, right? And they, nobody told them they couldn't, so they did it. And that's basically what's happened with tech companies is nobody's told them they couldn't do anything and uh, they're following their incentives. And, and you can't, you know, necessarily, you shouldn't hold ill will for them for doing that. But that also doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything now in the future. So the, that's a roundabout way of saying, uh, I think well thought out, you know, uh, well thought out regulation is likely a good thing for some of these companies in the future. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just so it's not well thought out. Regulation just for the sake of regulation isn't good, but well thought out and efficient regulation definitely can be. Yeah, yeah, man. You know, I definitely think that that's something that uh, I'm sure they are trying to implement that the best way possible, and they're working on that. People are doing that. You know, this stuff takes time, it's patience, right? I mean, you think about all the stuff going on in the world. You know, all the information that's being put out there. Right. I mean, we're we're I to that, that perspective because you're totally right. Yeah, man. You know, we're hip to it. We know what needs to be done, but, you know, to be able to do it, it it's a, it's a long haul, right. You know, it's a long game, you know, it takes time and stuff. So, you know, I appreciate everything you're doing, Eric, you know, audience, as you know, I like to end the podcast with what I call a dope nugget. So thank you for being on here, Eric. And uh, what I do is I like to summarize it. Right. So what I've learned so far is that, you know, I mean, you, you, you said it right. Scientific research is probably one of the most viable, if not the most viable research that's out there, right? Insight fills source of data. It is what it is, right? That scientific research is important um, and, and probably to ever exist. Yet the current consumers of this information are the same people who are creating it, right? And we're striving to build the tools that are out there, right? We're trying to do things like what consensus is doing, right? democratizing scientific evidence, right? By trying to be able to help you search this information and make it accessible faster for you, uh, you're doing something great, right? You know, I mean, uh, something amazing, Eric. And, you know, you're making the world a better place in in many ways, you know, and and you're making a more informed place. Is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, no, I I appreciate everything you just said, and I definitely uh, agree with everything you just said. And uh, it's part of the ethos and the, and the vision of the company. And uh, if this has resonated with you at all, I definitely encourage you to to come check out our website at, at consensus.app. If you have a question that, uh, you know, you always wish you had the answer to or you think has been researched and you're in a debate with friends, you know, try to inject some some real rigor and, and evidence into those debates. And we've made the, the product really shareable so you can share claims made from research papers. So Next time you're in a debate with family oh, nice. members about something, <laughs> throw in a consensus result into that group. That's yeah. awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. So now for the fun part, right? right. You know, we like to geek it out, right? The audience knows we like to geek it out a lot. Um, everybody I bring on, we're always talking about data this, data that, right? We're talking about AI, ML, data analytics, engineering, you name it, uh, the cloud, all that good stuff, right? But we do think about things like ice cream, right? You know, we do have an opinion. Not to say that we 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 care for it or not, but we have an opinion. If you ask me to like ice cream, I can say yeah or nay. I can say I like a specific ice cream or not. Um, so I got this game called Overrated Underrated, and I could play with the guest. Um, and basically, I I give you a series of topics. You get to decide whether it's overrated, underrated, or right where it needs to be. Ready to go? Ready to rock? All right. The Boston Marathon. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I'd say properly rated. Properly uh, rated? It's a historic, it really it's, a, it's, it's a historic event. And, you know, you have the, the terrible tragedy that happened about a decade ago that mm-hmm. uh, has injected some new significance into it. Uh, but so those are the, the pros. So it has that. It has this kind of spiritual meaning in Boston. And it is one of the oldest and most historic marathons. But at the end of the day, it's just another marathon. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that nets out to being properly rated. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, great. I can see that. All right, fingernail clippers. Underrated. 
Underrated. You ever seen somebody who doesn't clip their fingernails? It's crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and let's not talk about the toenails, right? Yeah, <laughs> they can <right>. get crazy. <laughs> exactly. No, I agree, man. I, I just came from Africa, as I was telling you before, right? And I clipped my, my fingernails, right, before I left. And while I was out there, right, I was out there for about two weeks. And all I kept thinking about was man, my fingernails every day. I was like, man, my fingernails are growing. I need, I forgot my fingernail clipper, right? <laughs> so I had to go find one. Yeah, if, you, if you're gonna say overrated, come talk to me after you lose your, your nail clipper for a month. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, snowboarding. Overrated, way overrated. What? Yeah, I'm a, I love skiing, and I think uh -huh. uh, I find skiing to be far superior to snowboarding in every way possible. So. Is it more exciting, you think, as far as skiing? I mean, uh, it's, it's classier, it's safer, it's more fun, it's easier uh -huh. to pick up. Uh, we, are, we are highly superior to you snowboarders. <laughs> All right, turkey. Probably overrated. You uh -huh. know, it's, it's, that doesn't mean I don't like it, I'm just talking relative to perception. And you yeah, know, it gets a lot of it gets a lot of hype because of the whole Thanksgiving thing. But you know, it really only is, it's not great standalone, and it really only is as good as what you put around it. Like, don't get me wrong, a good turkey sandwich is good. Turkey bacon avocado, like great. But you know, you know what's really doing the work there is the bacon and the avocado. And on Thanksgiving, yeah. you know what's really doing the work is the gravy and the stuff. The gravy, and, man. and turkey is great to throw into that and like mash it all up and have it together. But it gets so much hype. Yet it really is, you know, needs a supporting cast around it in order to perform. I agree, man. I agree. Um, I think about like how dry turkey is, right? Yeah, it doesn't matter. You're not having turkey by yourself. I put into it, man. Yet, you know, yet I, everyone knows. Everyone talks about it and knows about it because of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> All right, video games. Uh, I'd say properly rated. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I think the people there's 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 two vocal ends of the spectrum. So it nets out, you know, like many times when there's loud voices on both sides, you have your hardcore gamers and you have the people thinking that video games corrupt children and stuff. And usually yeah. the, the truth lies somewhere in between. So uh, not a huge gamer myself. I used to love playing Madden and NCAA football back in the day and a few other ones, but not a huge gamer anymore. So overall, I'll say properly. Yeah, yeah, and the, and then generation is changing, right? I mean, gaming is it, right? You know, it's like a big thing now. They're making millions and millions of dollars off of it, right? And at one point, I was like, man, don't be the consumer, be the creator. Right? I'm telling my son that, right? You know, you're sitting there, you're 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 instilling yourself in all these YouTube videos. You're not learning anything, all that stuff. But maybe maybe that's the way of the world, right? You know, maybe uh, they're transitioning. You shouldn't hold them back because that can be a career for them that they enjoy, right? Yeah, you know, they, something that when they were kids that somebody in the generation before them thought was weird and didn't connect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. All right. Two more. Fenway Park. You know what? I'll I'll say underrated. And mm -hmm. that is coming from a biased perspective, one, because I'm from Boston and I'm a Red Sox yeah. fan. But also I spent six years of my life in Chicago. And mm -hmm it is underrated compared to what people in Chicago think because they think Wrigley Field is the, is the Mecca <laughs> and the cathedral. Uh, they're wrong. Uh, uh -huh. so because of that, I'll say the Fenway Park's underrated to all my Chicago friends out there. <laughs> all right. The last one, the printer. 
you know, I feel like it's a layup to say overrated uh-huh. because, you know, things are moving so digital and who needs printed out things. But now there's those few random things that you still need to print out. One is really hard to find somebody who has one. So I'm going to say underrated. Yeah, yeah. I feel, like, I feel like the shark is, it's jumped the shark, right? Like, you know, if you asked me six years ago, the answer is definitely overrated. But now yeah. everyone like would say that, and now it's like nobody has printers. So when you need to print something, it's like shit. I got to go find the person who's got the printer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I and I always, um, yeah, that's one thing that no matter how technical I am, right? You get those huge printers in the office. For some reason, I'm always struggling, like working it, right? <laughs> and I'm like, man, I hate the printer because I'm thinking, man, why don't you have this PDF signature, right? You know, why don't you have some type of digitized, you know, uh, creation for you? to be able to uh, uh, help be more efficient within your company. You know, I don't know the why to them, right? I don't, and and maybe I shouldn't care as much, you know, but I'm always asking myself why. That's not, why a, problem with, that's not a problem with the printer. <laughs> uh, don't take your problem up with printers there. Take your problem up with those companies. <laughs> right, right. It's the companies, man, you know? Right. And so, uh, yeah, it, it just blows my mind, you know, but Hey, look, Eric, I really appreciate you being on the Data is My Science podcast. Audience, you know this is Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. I'm your host, Dapper Data. Where can they reach you at, Eric? Yeah, uh, consensus.app is our website. And then on Twitter, we are at ConsensusNLP. Give us a follow there. We tweet out some interesting science tidbits and share things from the product all the time. Uh, And I'd say those would be the two best ways, either on Twitter or just directly on our website. Great, great, great. And, and, and audience, you know, you can always reach me or anyone in the social media platforms at Mr. Dapper Data. Um, and definitely check, click the link in the bio, subscribe to Data is My Science podcast. You can also uh, reach me or be able to watch the YouTube videos at www.youtube.com forward slash Dapper Data. Um, and all right. Well, thank you, Eric. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Audience, until next time, peace. Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion with your host, Dapper Data.